Let's bow our heads and pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who takes the words written down and writes them upon our hearts, helps us to understand. We pray you would help us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was one of the most heart-rending stories from the early days of the pandemic when Ishmael Mohammed Abdul Wahab, aged 13, died alone of COVID in a London hospital. No mother or father to hold his hand. No one to tell him they loved him. Or maybe you saw that uh, footage of a socially distanced funeral in Milton Keynes. A son moved his chair to sit next to his grieving mother. Another mourner moved theirs also. And a third was on the way when a crematorium official interrupted. Stop the service. Move the chairs back. You can't move the chairs. We told you not to move the chairs. The cruelty of death. A pandemic that snatched away a son with his whole life laid out ahead of him. A disease which took loved ones away forever and which kept loved ones apart for what felt like forever. But here we are on what feels like at least the other side of the pandemic. And as I said earlier, as Christians have often done in the past, when plagues have abated, we want to gather together to look back and look forward. Because for all the talk of this last year of a new normal, how a new normal might change our world, we want to think about how this last year and a half might actually change us. What effect has it had on us? What have we learned about life? What have we learned about death also? Well, to help us both give thanks and reflect, I'd like us to look at those two Bible readings, and I think you'll find it helpful if you keep them open in front of you. First of all, we're going to look at page 679, Uh, That little-known book of Ecclesiastes, almost certainly the most depressing book in the Bible. Consider the very last words of that reading, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 8. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Or as the old translations put it, vanity, vanity. Everything is vanity. Life, he says, is like that puff of vapor you see from an e-cigarette. It looks substantial. It looks like you could grab hold of it. You go reach out to grab hold of it and it's gone. Well, it's like watching a child run along the beach chasing the wind. It's futile. Life is a puzzle. It defies lasting explanation. And so what we try to do is we fill it with stuff to give it meaning. Pleasure, career, relationships, riches, even wisdom. But no sooner do we think that we found the answers that our explanations just puff away. And for many, the pandemic put those life-filling things in suspended animation. For some, it snatched them away altogether. And of course, death snatches them all away in the end anyway. So what should we make of this vapor-like thing called life? Is there an explanation that won't just evaporate away? Can we find reliable answers to those most important questions? Well, look me again at the beginning of that reading, Ecclesiastes 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Perhaps the most famous British youth of the last uh, week or so has got to be Emma Raducanu, hasn't she? Didn't she just take hold of what youth offered her. Ten rounds of tennis, no sets dropped, coming from nowhere, 
to win the US Open? Didn't she deserve it? Didn't she just grab the opportunities of youth? But our author tells us that youth, by which he doesn't just mean 18 years old, he means anything other than old age, isn't just a time for grabbing trophies. It's not just a time for grabbing the most of life. It's a time for remembering the one who gave us life. Remember your creator, he says, in the days of your youth. Why? Because all the liveliness, excitement, and joy, and energy of youth will not last forever. Soon, he says, the days of trouble will come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the moon and the and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. You see, when we're young, it's not long, is it, until the sunshine breaks through the clouds again. Most clouds, when we're young, have a silver lining. But the older we get, the more likely those clouds don't have a silver lining. The more likely they are to be just a harbinger of another darker cloud, including the storm of old age. Verse 3, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. The author pictures the human body as a once great house, now dilapidated, and decayed, the furniture covered in dust sheets. The keepers of the house, they seem to be the hands and the arms, once used to defend yourself, once used to provide for others or care for others, now limp and, and trembling. The strong men, they're the legs, they're no longer able to bear your own weight. Gaping holes in face of those gleaming, grinding teeth of youth. Eyes clouded by failing vision. The ears that once heard so many stories, so much laughter, they can barely catch the bird song that wakes you up at half past four in the morning. Verse five, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. It's the steady, relentless march of age that stops for no one. See, the young, they could fall over on this floor and pick themselves up again and just carry on. The older you get, the more likely a, fir a fall for the old and infirm is going to spell a broken hip and disaster. The white hair of age represented by almond blossom a life once lived as lively as a grasshopper on a summer's day, now just dragging itself along, sapped of energy and all desire. And at the very end, a funeral. Perhaps the most famous funeral of this last year, well, almost certainly the most famous funeral of this last year, had to involve uh, Prince Philip's Land Rover, didn't it? Um, we'll never see that again. A modified Land Rover instead of a hearse. But however we make that final journey, we will all make it when the time comes. And so the author reminds us, with the, finishes this little section with the theme he began with, 
Remember the God who gave you life before life itself is taken away. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Life is like one of these magnificent chandeliers hung from the ceiling, shedding light. But then it just breaks and it crashes to the floor and there's no more light. Or it's like that water in a pitcher which has been carried to the spring. Day after day, it's full to overflowing. It's overflowed into so many other people's lives, but now it's cracked and broken and spilt in death. It only takes a pandemic. It only takes a missed cancer diagnosis. It only takes that accident we never saw coming. And that once beautiful life is gone forever. And so the author says, verse 6, remember him. Why, though? What is the point? What is the point in remembering him if, if we're all going to be unmade in the end? What is the point in remembering the one who made us if we're going to be broken and shattered and severed by death in the end? Well, maybe questions like those in some of those darker moments of the last year and a half have filled your mind. Maybe they filled the mind of a grieving mother in a small village in Israel 2,000 years ago, which is what we read about in Luke's Gospel. You might like to turn to that, page 1,035. As Jesus approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. Life had already been very cruel to this woman, and now it kicked her when she was down. She lost her husband. Now she's lost her only son. She's without family. She's without financial means. And her neighbors and friends share her profound grief. And that is why they accompany her as her son makes his final journey. But then an uninvited guest steps in. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, Don't cry. Can you imagine the crassness of that comment said to the grieving parents of a 13-year-old boy last March in a London hospital? Don't cry. It's on a par, isn't it, with the cruelty of a crematorium official who said, move the chairs, move the chairs. We told you not to move the chairs. For anyone else to tell a mother not to grieve at the funeral of her only son would be cruelty in the extreme but not Jesus. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. According to Jewish law, if you touched the dead body, you were immediately unclean. It was like an ancient version of test and trace. You were forced into a week-long period of compulsory self-isolation. And no wonder those carrying this cloth-wrapped corpse, no wooden coffin in those days, stood still. What is Jesus doing? exposing himself to the contagion of death like that. Jesus hasn't finished yet. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. It's not that unusual to speak to a dead person. Maybe you've done it yourself. If you haven't, most of us probably will at some point. Standing by a friend's coffin in a crematorium, telling we miss them already. 
holding the hand of a, a loved one in a refrigerated funeral parlor, saying, I love you. Speaking into the air in those moments of loneliness, saying, I wish you were here. We can speak to the dead, but the dead never hear us speak. Except that this dead man heard Jesus. And Jesus turned his funeral into a birthday party. What a wonderful moment of reunion as Jesus takes that dead man and puts him back in his mother's arms. It's near a year ago when the former health secretary said, the NHS will be ready when the science comes good to begin injecting hope into millions of arms this winter. But true and lasting hope does not come from a vaccine. For we can never be vaccinated against death. We need a zero death strategy. We need to eliminate it, except we can't. And so we need a savior. We need someone who's gone through death to the other side. And that is the savior Jesus Christ came to be. You see, the crowds didn't see it in our reading. Some of them think he's a great prophet. Some of them say, oh, in some way, God has come to help his people. They didn't quite get it, but as the story unfolded, Jesus' identity as this saviour from death became clearer and clearer, until eventually he also was buried in strips of linen, like this man was due to be buried. And he was buried outside the city gate, like this man was due to be buried outside the city gate. Because Jesus came to provide the answers to death that the writer of Ecclesiastes was looking for. He knew why death came. You see, the writer said, didn't he, in, in the reading, he said, the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit to God who gave it. And what he's doing there is de deliberately echoing one of those very first stories from the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve, to that time when they reached out and they took the fruit and they, in a vain attempt to take God's place in God's world. And it's what you and I do too. We try to live our lives as if we were the creator and not God. And hasn't this year been a perfect example of that as we've tried to kind of control a virus and save lives and all the time been overestimating our powers? We can't stop death. Just like Adam and Eve, we try to take God's place. But in response, God says to us those words said at countless funerals this year, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It is a consequence. Death is a consequence of our attempt to take God's place in God's world. And all a pandemic does is remind us of that fact. It points to a future judgment also, devoid of hope. Unless, unless we entrust ourselves to the one who said to that young man, get up. Because Jesus also got up. And he could take us to the other side of our graves. He can get us up out of our graves. Jesus was a young man, barely 30, when he bore in his own body the curse of old age, so poignantly described in Ecclesiastes. And more than that, as he hung on the cross, he faced the horror of social distancing from God his Father. Social distancing is horrible, isn't it? But Jesus experienced the full horror of real spiritual social distance from the God who made him. Not, sorry, not the God who made him, the God who made us, the God with whom he had enjoyed eternity forever. One of the mantras of this last year that we've heard often is we're all in this together, and to some extent that is true. 
But when it comes to matters of eternity, we are not in it together. We are in it alone. We stand before God alone. The NHS can't save us. We need another saviour. We need Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ did it alone for us. He died our death and he got up, of our gra- got up out of our grave. And so all we need to do to have true and lasting hope is do what the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us to do. Remember him before. Remember him. Entrust our lives to Jesus, to our creator, before we don't have any time left. Because if we do that, then Jesus will be there at our funeral too. And Jesus will say to us, get up. And he will turn that day of mourning into a birthday party that brings in and ushers in eternal life that will never end. The end of one chapter and the beginning of an everlasting story. Jesus has gone through death. Jesus is ready to take us through death with him. Is anyone else going to do that for you? So what will we do? Will we hear him speak to us today? And will we get up if we haven't done so yet, out of our coffin, basically, and put our hands and lives into the hands of Jesus, the one who's speaking to us today, saying, get up. Will we do that? Remember him before. Why don't we bow our heads, have a moment of quiet, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Father, um, we may all be in very different places today. Some of us have already put our hands in Jesus' hands. Others never really considered these things before. Lord, we pray you'd help us. You'd meet with us wherever we are, whatever sort of person we are this morning, to consider these claims of Jesus, to be the one who has gone through death and has borne the social distancing from God so that we never have to, and who is offering us eternal life that really does give meaning and purpose that will never end and never be taken away. Lord, we pray if we trust in Jesus this morning that you would give us joy and hope and confidence in him. And Lord, we pray if we don't yet know him, that you just help us to consider these things um, whilst we have time. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As our service um, draws to a close, we're going to finish with three pieces of music.